Cultural Affairs Radio Magazine Program, and I'm your host, Ron Thompson. Tonight on Montage Through Full Circle, we talk to two community-minded individuals about how things are shaping up in some of the flatland neighborhoods. Now, both men are activists and concerned with the direction and the force of the ill wind that's blowing through the community. On tonight's show, we talk first to Dr. Ninana Kweku about his new book, White Out. And then we speak with Coach Ben Tapscott about the quiet and often unnoticed effects of gentrification presently happening in Oakland and its effect on the Oakland Unified Public Schools. Right now you're listening to Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? Again, I'm your host, Ron Thompson. Please stay with us here on KPFA. I'd like at this time for you to join me and listen to an interview with Dr. Kweku, where we'll discuss not only some of the effects of white supremacy, but some of the negative effects where blacks have dropped the ball. Welcome to another edition of Full Circle. I'm Ron Thompson, and you're listening to Montage. Today we have the pleasure of dealing with Ninana Kweku. Thank you, sir. How are you today? Yeah, I'm great. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Ron, for inviting me to be on the show here with you. It is truly my pleasure. Dr. Kweku has a few books out. One of his books that we're dealing with today is White Out. Now, the book is about the experience of a black man in America who was born into a sharecropper's family. It's about his experiences and observations of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and now 2015 and 16. And it's about how much America has changed but still remains the same. He says it is about racism and white supremacy. From the White House to the Outhouse. I love that. It is about the 99% in the Outhouse versus the 1% in the White House. This book is about the white supremacy of all colors and nationalities. This book is to serve as a reminder to all of us that white supremacy cannot endure without all of us participating 
We've got to free ourselves from the greed of capitalism. Remember, you can't spend your dollars with the people who control this white supremacist regime and not bear any responsibility. Now, that's quite a bit. Now, before we talk to him, I want to give you a little bit more information about Dr. Kwaku. Dr. Kwaku is a man who has spent over 50 years fighting against the evils of a racist society, and he continues today in this fight against white supremacy. Dr. Kwaku attended Merritt College in Oakland. He earned a Master's of Arts degree from Concordia College and University and a doctorate in counseling and psychology from Sacramento Theological Seminary and Bible College. Dr. Kwaku is also an ordained minister, and he specializes in holistic behavior health. He is the founder of a private foundation called Family Solutions Incorporated, where he continues his work to lift all people to the heights of equality. That's quite a bit, sir. You're a busy man. Yes. (laughs) Before we get started, what is the difference in what you're doing and other people who have other degrees? By this, I mean people aren't necessarily doing what you're doing in the sense of caring and sharing for the community, but they wear this distinction. What is it about your course of study and what you're doing with your book, Whiteout, that's going to make people reach in and get this book? But I wanted to begin there because people are thinking, well, I've got this degree, I've got that degree, and I don't feel that, or I don't believe that. Is that what you mean by the supremacy, this white supremacy? Because it seems that it's no longer just about a particular group of people, but a particular mindset. Well, yes. Uh, the, the reality of it is, is, is this. Sure, we have all these different trains of thought and these different varied educational processes that we go through. But one thing I tell people all the time whenever I'm speaking in places is that most of the information I got, I didn't get it from the school. I got it by studying outside of the school realm. You take back, like back in the 70s, I was uh, involved with the uh, All African People's Revolutionary Party with uh, Kwame Ture, and, and we formed book clubs. And in and, and those book clubs, what we had to do was to study a book every week and come back to the group every week and make a report on it. These were not your traditional stories that we get in mainstream, you know, mainstream educational. Yes. Because I had signed, actually, I had I enrolled in the University of San Francisco at one time, and I was going to, I remember I was going to take a, a, hist- a class on African history. And I sat in this class two or three times and, and listened to this professor. And, you know, after talking with some of the other uh, students like myself, after class, I said, well, it just seems to me that we're not getting African history here. We're getting uh, a story about slavery. And so they, everybody agreed, but nobody wanted to speak up. Even at that level, you know, people in the university is paying a lot of money to go in there to learn about slavery. And so I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do it because I'm spending too much money that I don't have anyway to be here. So I one day I just told the professor, I said, look, I, I, I don't really, I'm not blaming you. I said, but this is certainly not the course that I'd signed up for. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're teaching about slavery. And, and when I signed up for a course, the course read African history. 
that this, I don't know what this is that you're teaching. <laughs> there is and a he, distinction. Yes, he, and he became very upset and asked me to, re, you know, sign my slip to be removed from his class. I said, well, great, because <laughs> I don't want to pay money to come in here and learn about something that I already know about anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the, the thing of it is that people come from these varied educational institutions and still and I, I, don't, I don't want people to call me and say, oh, man, you don't know what you're talking about. You can go to these places and still know nothing. I don't know if you remember the movie uh, Higher Learning with uh, Ice Cube and these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this guy came to borrow a book from me. He asked him if he had a book on uh, Frederick Douglass. And he says, yeah. Okay, well, he said, well, can I borrow it? And the guy says, sure. He said, but why do you want the book? He says, well, I want it for my class. He said, well, you can't get my book because I thought you wanted it for yourself. And see, that's the distinction in the in these educational mod- models that, you know, people go in there and they learn how to fit into this system or how I can make the most money when I graduate. So they're not really focused on getting knowledge. They're focused on how can I learn a craft. And once you, you know, when you become conscious, you realize that, wait a minute, you know, I could have done this stuff on my own without paying these people, being in, in student debts up to two or three hundred thousand dollars. Yes, indeed. They are very high. Yeah. And you know, you make me think, you reference it in your book, uh, Franz Fernand and the mm-hmm. Wretched of the Earth and what he was talking about, uh, Ralph Ellison and the mm-hmm. Invisible Man, you know, mm-hmm. different things that bring it down home. Bring it, yes, it does. To, to who you are and what it's about and how you're viewed and kind of how you need to view yourself in terms mm-hmm. of being able to stand up as a black man and and operate in this country. And uh, I think that those books are just as apropos today as they were then. The information is still Still, universal and viable. You are part of an organization, your Family Solutions, Inc. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, this this organization was formulated back in 1993. I was working with a group of people in uh, East Oakland. And, you know, it was uh, East Oakland Community Health Project. And we we had some real creative people there who wanted to go outside of the box to figure out ways that we could help to educate our people on how to get them to move out of poverty, to move out of the drug scene and, and you know, just to take more control over their families. And so we, did, we couldn't do it in the normal systems that were in place. Mm-hmm. Although we were working in a system that gave us money to do it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they put all of these these stipulations on it, the things you can, you can't do this. Well, you really, it's just like, uh, are you familiar with this uh, this new thing that they have in the churches now? Uh, well, uh, what do they call Faith-based? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> faith-based uh, organ- Yeah, organization get money based on being faith-based. Mm-hmm. And, and I never understood that. Either, you know, and I was actually, I was at a, at a conference with about 40, 50 other ministers, and, and everybody was vying for this government money that was coming down. And I said, well, look, I don't have no problem with us taking the money if we can do the things we need to do. But I said, I have one question. I said, would somebody in here please explain to me what faith-based means? 
because in the actual agreements that come out of Washington, it says that you cannot try to convert anybody to any type of religion one way or the other. So I'm trying to figure out what is what do you mean faith-based? And, you know, but when you get into it, you learn what the politics behind it because when Bush was in the White House, that's when these big-time preachers from, you know, started getting all this money for this stuff. And then so blacks weren't getting it there. This mm-hmm. was only the Jerry Farwells and people like that. So in order for them to get it, to, I think the Black Caucus will file a suit against them. So wait a minute, you're giving all this money over here. We got all these churches. Why aren't we getting sent them some of this money? So then the people start to applying for these funds. But then none of them could even explain to you what faith-based means since you can't promote any particular religion or organization. Right. You're moving out of one box. Into another into box. Into another box. Into another More box. restrictive. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I just say, hey, wait a minute. You know, we... Why don't we formulate our own organization? That's mm-hmm. when actually we formulated the organization. It was called the Jemani Wanawaki Project. Interesting. And 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 the reason why we changed it to show you how our thinking gets gets twisted sometimes. Uh, People kept telling us, you guys are never going to get funded as long as you got these African names on it. So we changed it, and we and we were able to get funded. But, you know, it shows you how the, the system works. You know, uh, they don't want you really going into areas that's going to upset the, the foundation that they've already laid. And, uh, you know, with Family Solutions, I work with families every day, and I work with, I mean, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To go in and talk to a mother with two or three kids and she's doing all she can do to try to manage that in this system. And, and all of the cards are stacked against her. And so what I just say, hey, I, I when I go in there and I do an assessment, I don't go in there with any of this stuff out of the book. I just tell them, I say, look, you want your life to change. They say, yeah, I want to change. I say, well, then you've got to you got to ex yourself out of the system. The system uses people. I don't care if it's the healthcare system, the welfare, or whatever system it is. It gets people in it, and it's it's another kind of prison. People talk about the guys who are locked up, men and women who are locked up in jail, but they don't talk about the millions of kids and families that are locked up in the social welfare system and they can't get out because they create such a a system there that they have these people jumping around, you're jumping through hoops trying to meet, you know, the needs that they have laid out in these programs and they can't do it. And so a lot of them fail. And I've seen women give up their kids because they say, I can't do it anymore. You know, they they have them running all over the place, uh, you know, going here for therapy. They want to medicate their kids if the child acts up at school, these kinds of things. And we wanted to fight against that. And that was the reason why we formulated that organization that now has developed into uh, Family Solutions, Inc. Interesting. And uh, I want to turn now in the remaining moments that we have left to talk for a moment, to ask him a few questions about another book that he's written, In Search of Manhood. You have in quotations recognizing manhood. Yeah, recognizing. You know, I I used to run a fatherhood training program Mm -hmm. for the federal government. Interesting. And and we de- developed a curriculum that we thought would be good, beneficial for for African-American males mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of time we are 
you know, I was on another radio show and it just breaks, reminds me of that. And a guy called in and said he had 27 kids on Father's Day. <laughs> and I really didn't know how to respond to him. So until uh, while he was continuing ramping on about how great he was and, and I asked him, I said, how many of those children are you taking care of? And he said, oh, their mothers do that. You know, you understand? Are you kidding? Oh, yeah, serious. And so I, I had guys and that, that would come to class and we would teach them stuff. I mean, even to changing a diaper. I had a young man come in my class one day and and the, and the baby had you know mm-hmm. messed on itself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he said I gotta take the baby back to his mother I said what are you talking about he said well I don't change no diapers and stuff it was his vis- visitation time with his child but once the child you know was mess up the diaper it's natural yeah it's natural that's what the child is supposed to do and so we had to get into their mindset what is fatherhood mm-hmm. or what would you have liked your father to have been had you had a father at home uh, with you. And, and you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they understand. They know what they would have liked. But I said, but don't you think your children deserve the same thing? And so we had to, like, w- walk them through this spoon yes, feed them yes, information yes. to get them to understand that what that child is going to be is, 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 is predicated on what you're going to do. Yes. And, I- I'm sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you. Yeah, and so, you know, a lot of them just felt like, well, you know, that's, you know, I'm a man, and men are supposed to do this, and, and, and see, and once again, that is a, a European cultural thing. That we... That we adopted. Yes. yes. Well, I don't know if we adopted, because a lot of us didn't have a choice. It it was in the water, it was in the school, it was part of the education and indoctrination, even if you weren't in school, because it was part, it was what was in the air wherever you lived on the block in America. That was mm-hmm. in the black community as well as in the white community. Exactly. And it makes me think, as you talk about that, how... At a time, like in the late 40s and the 50s and beyond, when the black family was being destroyed as the jobs were less and people began to look towards the the government because the government had things like AFDC, Mm -hmm. Aid to Families with Dependent Children. So across the tracks, the family got that aid, the whole family intact until the father could get back on his feet and, 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 and be employed again. But on the other side of the track, the male had to leave the house. Mm-hmm. You couldn't find, you think, you take a look at the movie Claudine, it, it, it shows it so clearly, so graphically. Yeah, I remember the, those times. The, the, I've seen that, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, up up front, you the know. worker comes in and she's looking in the closet and under the bed trying to find the man's clothes. You gotta, you gotta hide everything, yes, <laughs> you yes. know, all that kind of stuff. Yes. And and this is what I'm talking about. The system still do that today mm-hmm. in another way. Mm-hmm. They, you know, if if you're receiving the support from, you know, AFDC or whatever it is you're getting, mm-hmm. what happens is is that, you know, they put so many stipulations on you getting it until you can never move out of your, your present condition. It's almost like sharecroppers. You know, back in the day, mm-hmm, sharecroppers, mm-hmm. they tell them after they, they didn't leave when they was freed because they didn't have any money to go anywhere with. So they, they, they agreed with the, the ex-master mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to stay on and work, and we're going to give you a percentage of the crop at the end of the season. But every year at the end of the season, the, the, the man would come around and say, well, we didn't do as well as we right. thought we were, so... And plus, you owe this amount. <laughs> yeah, you, you owe me. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a good game, wasn't it, it? It was a good game. So it, the same thing goes on today. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a little different. You know, uh, a woman could go down there and she could have two or three kids and uh, she'd have a job. Maybe she's making a little money. She's able to pay her rent and, and something like that. But she needs some extra help. She needs the, you know, food stamps. She mm-hmm. needs the child care and all these things. And so then, don't and God forsake that uh, somehow these children start acting up, have some kind of behavior problems. Now what they throw on her is, well, you have to do this, you have to do this. You have several things you've got to do. There's only 24 hours in a day. The mother's got to work, pay rent, get home, try to fix food for them and everything. She can't do it. I work with women like that right now. Mm-hmm that they're making it impossible. And I feel like, you know, sometimes I, I go to them and I say, look, there's only one way out of this. Somehow we have to find a way to elevate you up so that you can cut the system loose right, permanently. Right, right. Because as long as they you're in there, they're going to use these, whatever they need, to maintain their programs. And that, that's a bitter pill to swallow for a woman who's already stretched out, who's yes. already in a pretzel, trying to keep her family going. How do you think about letting go of this amount of money? Mm-hmm. This is what's helping me. If nothing else, I know that I have that. Yeah. That's that's a tall but then, order. But you yeah, have. it is. It's it's tall, and, and they're in a, a dilemma that I wouldn't want to have to conceive myself. Yeah, I understand. You know, but I tell them, I say, look, uh, I'm not going to come in here and tell you a bunch of stories like some of these other social workers or whatever people come in. I'm going to tell you that this is what's happening to you. I understand why you're so stressed out, but the thing of it is, is if if you continue in this, either way, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And that's the bottom line. You're going to lose. You can't win being in an environment like that where they move in and take total control of everything you do in your home. Like uh, I had a mother who came to me and, and like her child would have these little fits. And what I mean by fits, you know how kids will fall down the floor and start kicking because mm-hmm. they spoil. Mm-hmm. Well, tantrums. <laughs> and in the process of that, the child scratched her arm. CPS was called in. They, put the, they was ready to take this woman's wow. children. And so I went in to set in on the TDM. It's a team decision meeting that they sit around and decide, um, you know, what's what. Mm -hmm. And I just told I said, you go in there and you tell them what's going on. And, uh, you know, I had worked with those kids and I knew what they were like. But the thing of it is, is that when she was doing all this stuff, they were sitting there prepared. So, well, you can't control your kids. We're going to have to come and take them. And I said, well, first of all, you automatically believe that this mother actually tried to hurt her child. Now, I know that there are some people out there who may do that, but even they need help. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this lady was definitely not that kind of mother. Right, right. And she was about to cry, you know, because she said, I think they're going to take my kids. And I said, no, we're going we're gonna to fight. And we, we managed to convince them that we had the proper supports in place so that this mother would be able to go to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's <coughs> trying to work and trying to take care of these kids. And they over here, on the other hand, are saying, if this happens again, you know, in, in other words, they automatically believe. Right, right. And they knew. The thing about the child even yes. went in and told them that she lied, that her mother didn't mm-hmm. scratch her. You know, I don't get it. It seems that they paint with such a broad breast and they see such a narrow uh, 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 view in these things and they 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 take 
a bad situation or what they've defined as a bad situation and make it, and worse, make it by, worse by what they're proposing. By what they're proposing. Yes. And, you know, and so the thing of what I try to do is to say, hey, you know, one of the things I want to do where we're moving with Family Solutions to mm-hmm. is to create a, a supportive health care system outside of the normal uh, regime, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, because then we'll be able to actually go in and work with these families and and build the kind of support unit they need until we can get these fathers back in the game to right, take responsibility. Right. right, very good. But you know, it's it's a, it's a difficult situation. I mean, people don't realize how difficult it is yes. for women to be out there with kids like this and have to deal with the system, and then they wonder why these people are taking medications or drugs and right, right, you know. But you know, let's. I don't. I don't leave all the blame there because you were talking a while ago about these Mongols who make all this money, these athletes, and they could subsidize a school. Well, I, I, I don't forget. I wish I had the exact number, but I, I was reading it not too long ago. How many billions of dollars the black churches make every every Sunday? Interesting. Any one of them could establish a school. And it wouldn't it would mean nothing. It would it would be like a drop in the bucket in comparison to what they take in. So we've lost the do for self concept. Exactly. Interesting. I have been talking with I've had the pleasure of talking with Dr. Nianana Kwaku and Doctor, how can people get in touch with you? who are interested in maybe you're coming to speak with them or interested in Family Solutions, what is your information? Give us your, a couple of times, give us your either phone number or your email address or your contact information, please. Okay. Uh, yes, I can be reached at, uh, actually, you can go to my website at www.noangernoviolence.org. That's, once again, noangernoviolence.org. You can also email me at nkweku, that's N-K-W-E-K-U, the number 88, at comcast.net. You can also reach me at 707-631-0276, and I can also be uh, contacted through uh, T25CL Entertainment. Uh, You know, you can go to our website, which is t25cl.com, I can be reached at any of these venues. And once again, my telephone number is 707-631-0276. I'm glad that you are. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today here on Montage. It has been my pleasure to have you have your information and to, to get your book out to a wider audience. Will you come back and talk with us again sometime? I'd be more than happy. I'm, I'm glad. I want to thank you for allowing me the pleasure of coming here. And it's I want people to understand that it's not for me to sell books. You know, we are going to use part of the funds that come in from these books to be able to go and see people when they can't afford to pay. See, and that's another thing that we have people out there have problems, but the system said, well, we run out of money. We don't have any more money. We can't do anything. Well, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Craig Adams, I mentioned him here. He uh, has office in Haywood, and we work with people. And, and one of the things that we did with uh, when we formulated uh, Family Solution is we didn't care. You know, sure, we had to charge something to keep the doors open so we could just pay the bills, you know. But if somebody had the inability to pay, we wasn't going to turn them away. They were going to get the same quality of service that somebody who came in and was paying. And that's my ultimate goal to say that 
anybody who needs help, if they really want it, we'll take the time and sit down and, and try to work with them. I like that enlightenment, sir. Thank you once again for joining us. Thank you. Again, that was the voice of Dr. Kwaku. I recently spoke with him here in the KPFA studios. And for more information about Dr. Kwaku, as he said, you can contact him at www.noangernoviolence.org or email him at nkweku88 comcast.net. Or if you feel like you want to call him, just dial him up at 707-631-0276. And I invite you as well to check them out at T25CL Entertainment. He can be reached there, and they're also on the web on .org, T25CL Entertainment .org. Now, before we get into this music break... I want to let you know that there's a special event that's happening. This event is happening, and it's going to benefit the San Francisco Bayview newspaper. It's the Tupac Shakur Celebration of Life Day. It's a party to honor the legendary rapper, artist, and actor, as well as his beloved mother, Afeni. The, uh, Mrs. Shakura passed away this May. The celebration is June 18th from 3 to 7 at the Oakland New Parish. We have a pair of tickets to give away to caller 5 at 510-848-4425. Again, that's 510-848-4425. That's for a pair of tickets to the Tupac Shakur Celebration of Life Day Party at the Oakland New Paris, June 18th. That's going to go to Caller 5. So count it down, 510-848-4425. And we'll be right back after this music. We're going to listen to Right On by Marvin Gaye. But that's some nice miles, too.
Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley. That music you just heard was from the incomparable Marvin Gaye. That's right on. Marvin, you're missing. My next guest is Coach Ben Tapscott. Now, this man is a remarkable man as well. See, I don't want people to get the idea that uh, the things that are being said about black men in the community are true, that black men are absent and uninvolved because they are not. They're not absent and they're not uninvolved. Yes, there was a forced absence and the character assassination really works over time. But this man, Ben Tapscott, has lived his life as an educator and a leader, not only for his family, but his friends, colleagues, and the youth and adults he's mentored and coached. Ben Tapscott graduated and received his master's degree from Fresno State University in 1962. In 1963, he was hired in education by the Oakland Unified School District and began his teaching career becoming the track, field, and basketball coach at what has been referred to as the School of Champions, McClimates High School in West Oakland. In 1968, he became the first African-American head coach in Oakland. Throughout the 70s, being named Man of the Year by the East Bay Big Brothers Association and Coach of the Year from the Bay Area Black Officials Association. Through the 80s, 90s, and into today, Coach Ben Tapscott has received more awards and accolades and tributes than I have time or space to mention here. Coach Tapscott resumed his basketball coaching career at Laney College in 82, and in 83 became a full-time instructor teaching drafting and physical education. He was the physical education's department's chairman from 1990 until his retirement in 2003. His love for the game led him back to coaching at Merritt College, and he's currently the youth basketball director for the downtown Oakland YMCA. Coach also keeps his fingers on the pulse of the youth through his involvement with the Oakland Unified School District. Now, before I introduce you to Coach Tapscott formally, let's examine this. You know, the Bay Area is undergoing changes, many changes. Growth is underway everywhere one looks. Yesteryear's businesses become just memories as those businesses close and new construction reshapes the downtown and redistricts with a now new uptown. Uptown Oakland, which has commerce and commercial activities abound. Cafes, bakeries, and swank new eateries flank late-night clubs and bars to meet the day and night hustle and bustle of all the new bodies that no longer fill only the streets of San Francisco, but now fill the streets of Oakland. So quickly, oh, so quickly, all oh, so, so quickly. But that's money. Yeah, the money. That's money, right? Lots of money. And that's good, right? That is good. 
but there's also ramifications, not so much for the new yuppie hipster type influx, but for the already established families in reforming neighborhoods. Now, at this time, we want to focus on a quiet factor of the gentrification, the public schools. And now, we're going to ponder the commonality of the closures of Oakland public schools. But first, we're going to take a look at the fast proliferation of charter schools in Oakland. Now, I want you to think about these names I'm going to tell you and see if you can realize or recognize what these folks might have in common. These are people that you know or you might not know or just heard of. James Harris is a nuclear chemist. Ron Dellums. Lionel Wilson. Senator Nicholas Pecks. Pete Escovito. Stanley Burrell, better known to you as M.C. Hammer. Bill Russell. Frank Robinson. Kirk Flood. Tom Hanks. Zetlin and Dan Friedman. Joe Jackson. Judge Ordain Percio. Clint Eastwood, gold medalist Jim Hines, Vinda Pearson, I'm sorry, Vinda Pinson, and the Pointer Sisters. A little later, we're going to talk about what they all have in common. Again, I'm your host, Ron Thompson, here on Full Circle tonight. You're listening to Montage, and I'd like to welcome Coach Ben Tapscott. Thanks, Ron, for inviting me. It's my pleasure, Coach. Now, all all of us, everybody in Oakland can see that Oakland is changing right in front of our eyes. But what they might not see happening in the periphery, in the periphery is how it relates to schools. So, Coach, you work a lot with the school board Tell us, what's happening with the rise of charter schools in Oakland? Well, black education continues to be under attack. Uh, It's a systemic problem in terms of understanding uh, my fight is not with charter schools because I understand every parent, regardless of their zip code, wants their child to be educated. The fact that people are attending more and more charter schools then reduces the public school attendance and then we see closures of more and more schools primarily in the black communities. We have closed 14 black schools. Five of those black schools have been in West Oakland. We have closed not one Hill School run. Man, five in West Oakland. One part of the city. Wow. That's huge. How do these schools compare in student uh, performance, these charter schools versus the public schools? Well, charter schools basically have an extended day. Uh, They handpick and segregate and discriminate in terms of the students they admit. 
not all of them, but 90% of them. Our schools are more segregated today than they were 50 years ago. But the fact that they have an extended day, when we look at APIs, uh, which is a standard admitted test, we have found that people are not getting what they think they're getting with charter schools. What do you mean by an extended day? They, 90% of them go until 6 in the evening, compared to most public schools ending their school day at 3.30. Interesting. Okay. So they have these extended days, they have the extra income, and they have the API... That's a standard, that's a rating, that's a performance uh, a meter measure. By the state of California Department of Education. Now, the big surprise, and I've said this publicly, parents need to really zero in on what's happening in charter schools, primarily because most of them are school for profit. But when you look at the academic performance, of those charter schools are performing below what public schools are showing on their API scores, and that would be a shock to most people out on the street. It's a shock to me, because you just think that charter schools are just turning out stars. Yes. You think they're just cranking them out like a... (laughs) with a big crank or something. Interesting. They're not performing as well over half the schools. As public schools. My goodness. Actually, that's good to know. How is the funding happening? Okay, we know that our tax dollars are taking care of the public schools. Where is the funding? Is there any public money, I guess I'm asking, I'll just get straight to it. Is there any public money going to charter schools? The daily attendance, there's so much money generated for every child sitting in a seat at a school. And as those children move from the public schools to the charter school, that money travels with them. In addition to that, now with Prop 39 and uh, LCAP and other funding formulas, charter schools are now vying for the money that used to go to public schools. And the surprise to me when I first got involved with the uh, Oakland Public Schools is many of these schools are taking public school buildings and paying no rent. So you're saying that the schools that are being closed at some point reopen as charter schools? Or are you? Don't let me put words in your mouth. That's correct. With a lower enrollment in many cases than the school that they displaced. And when you displace a school, you create hardship, particularly, and and I want to reiterate, most of these closures, 14 black schools have been closed in Oakland, one Latino school, five of those schools, and soon to be six of those schools are located in one part of the city, and that's West Oakland. Wow. Wow. Now... What decides the school closure? How does that work? Is that the superintendent solely? Is that a board? Is that what decides that? The school board in Oakland is bought and paid for by wealthy politicians and wealthy contributors. We have a charter school board in Oakland that continues to vote 
for more and more opening of charter schools. Oakland has more charter schools in its city than any other city in the state of California. Wow. The last time I checked. Seldom does this board say no to charter schools, but Prop 39 is not just for Oakland, it's for the state of California. And I often wonder why other school districts are saying no to charter schools, but Oakland continues to open more and more charter schools. Now, you've stated that the charter school is not accommodating all of the community kids. When these schools close, I, I, I can imagine it's getting, the charter schools are getting some of that school population of that closed school. But since there's segregation, unlike what we've seen recently, but but in the past, uh, when, when segregation was pretty rapid, you're saying that, uh, uh, well, I'm asking, where are these school kids going who are not being attracted or articulated into the chartered schools? Where are the rest of these kids going to school? When you look at charter schools and their locations, basically in public school buildings that used to have public school children, uh, you take Marshall for an example. It was the first quote-unquote hill school that was closed, and those kids then were dispensed to surrounding elementary public schools, Grass Valley for one, was totally destroyed when they closed Marshall. And the other thing in West Oakland is we have no middle schools. We have one half of a middle school because they took part of West Oakland Middle and put a charter school kip on the other side. Now, in September, they're moving 275 elementary children at Lafayette to bring over a charter school to take that campus that has 315 students. That's disgraceful. It is. It is. So what did they do? Did they draw a line? No, they probably put a fence up down the middle of the school. How did they segregate this? It's a fence. It's a fence, yes. And when when you also understand that charter schools, many of them, I won't say all of them, do not expect special ed. Hmm. They handpick the students even though they claim to have open enrollment. Hmm. But 90% of our charter schools are highly segregated with Asian students and maybe three or four other races and also Latinos. These schools, if you look at their ethnicity, you will see that they are not integrated even though they claim to be integrated, they are not. They have the tokens, it sounds like, from back in the day. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Now, uh, I also see in the charter school areas around lunchtime or a little bit later than the normal lunchtime, uh, kids in groups uh, milling about or in, in, in route somewhere. How is that? Because charter schools are not regulated by the same type of codes that public schools are hampered by. But the fact that our kids are not being educated, and particularly the black students, Mm. uh, we're still seeing black males suspended. 
at a higher rate than white students. They're probably 15 times more likely to be suspended. California last year expelled 5,678 students, and most of those were blacks. Are you kidding? Expelled. Expelled in the state of California. 5,000. That's a lot. If this is a big state, yes, but yes, that's a lot. That's a lot. And and if you look at the ethnicity of those that are expelled, and I'm not saying some of them probably didn't misbehave, but you wonder how many of these kids that are in trouble, and I don't want to excuse their misbehavior, mm-hmm. how many of them can read? Mm. How many of them finished high school? The Wall Street Journal or, or the New York Times says that the federal government is estimating future prison growths mm. based on third grade reading scores in this country. And we know in the third grade is when students fall behind in reading. We can do all these other things, but we still cannot educate the black male. I just don't get it. Well, let me take that back. I do get it. I remember in high school how easy it was to get a demerit because you were a little bit tardy or you were in an area. Uh, there also always seemed to be some type of double standard. I know you can speak to that. Equity has always been a concern of mine. And I, I mentioned earlier that public schools, the type of education that they're getting should not be based on a zip code. Children in the hills should not be receiving a different type of education than kids in West Oakland. That's right. The things that they've done, this school board has done, and Jamoke Hodges, our representative on the school board, the things that they've done to West Oakland is a disgrace, and they should be ashamed of themselves. The fact that parents in West Oakland have to get up early in the morning and put their child on bar to send them to another district that has a middle school because we have now closed two middle schools in West Oakland, Hmm. and then we took half of West Oakland. So that school can handle 40 kids, but we have four elementary schools. That's 160 kids that will be looking for a school in September. They have to go across town to find a middle school. The superintendent needs to step up and uh, re-establish public schools at the middle school level in West Oakland like all the other school districts have. You don't go to another district or another neighborhood and find no middle schools for their children to go to. We used to have two, Hoover and Lowell, when I taught at McClyman's. Hmm. Hmm. And... You're right. That's ugly. That's very ugly. My goodness, West Oakland is getting hammered. (laughs) Wow. And I seem to remember hearing that uh, most of the, I don't know if there's a correlation or not, but most of the schools that are being closed are schools with African-American names. Now, that's not... uh, that's not nice either. <laughs> not by accident either. Barack Obama, Foster, mm. Thurgood Marshall. Mm. Those were all named Barack Obama. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, we're all named after a black man, and every one of them has been closed or either now is occupied by a charter school with a different name. Wow. It makes me think those who came under the sights first. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, I don't know, Coach. I, uh, I wonder about the future of the inner city kids, you know, black kids, uh, at the undereducation or uneducation and the readiness for jobs in the future. And I hate to think about what you were just talking about in terms of the incarceration rate, the, the line from school to incarceration. Also, I, I can remember it seemed that back in the day, and I, I was hoped that this was over, but back in the day it seemed that uh, uh, on the other side of the community went from preschool to kindergarten to uh, elementary school to junior high school to high school to junior college or community college to university to good life, while the other portion went from kindergarten to elementary school, maybe to junior high, to juvenile, to jail, to the joint or the penitentiary, to bad life or death. And it seems like that cycle has come back around again from what I hear you saying. If it's judged on third grade scores... And we know that. And, and, and it continues. A hundred years later, it continues. Wow. The, it's a return to slavery for our young people. And our brothers need to stop killing brothers. Yes. That is very disheartening to me. I taught at McClyman's, and when I bury some of my ball players, I'm supposed to go before them. And it's happening in the black communities where... For whatever reason, they are not sitting down and trying to talk out whatever the problem is. Mm -hmm. I understand brothers trying to survive. Mm -hmm. I understand that many of them were not educated. Uh, the schools are responsible for that. The homelessness that's out there, the schools are responsible for that. If we look at brothers in prison, I would wonder what the study would come back showing, number one, how many of them could read past the third grade level mm -hmm. and how many of them finished high school. Mm -hmm. So they're getting pushed out, forced out, kicked out, falling between the cracks, being pushed between the cracks. Whatever it is that needs to happen, it's not happening when it comes to educating. And I, I again focus on the black male. Oh, man. What do you do? It's kind of bleak. We got to have some beacon, some light of hope. Hopefully, uh, when I have you on again, there'll be a plan from the black community, about the black community, operating in the black community. Uh, that's one of the things that I'm for sure going to be working on. Well, Ron, the biggest thing coming down the road is the November election. Yes, it is. We need to get four or five of those board members off the school board because they are all funded by charter schools' money so that they can control the vote and continue to put more and more charter schools in Oakland. Did you hear that, folks? You've got some activity to do. 
from this activist, straight from his mouth. You just have a plan. Put it into action. Make the plan. You have the point. Now make the plan. Put that into action, please. Coach Tapscott, is there a way that people can get in touch with you? Can we have your information? I have an email. Mm-hmm. It's Coach T as in Tom. Yes. A as in Apple. P as in Paul at AOL.com. Thank Coach you. Tapscott at AOL.com. And thanks again, Ron, for having me. This is my pleasure for your information, sir. Now that brings us to the end of tonight's show. I want you to check us out on the webpage. That's kpfaapprentice.org where you can listen to our past shows and see photos of us and some of our guests. We want to give a special thanks to our production and technical team in there at the controls is Mr. David. He's being flanked by Sylvia. Want to thank also Free William Frank. He's our technical director. And Miss M. She's our program director. And also want to thank Joy Moore. She's our production consultant. I'm Ron Thompson. I've been your host. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for La Onda Baita.